You may be seated. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Brad, for leading singing this morning. I'm going to invite you, and those of you who are at home, you can get this from the website. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and get the sermon handout in the MPG. MPG on one side are all of the things that you can do to take the sermon further down the road this week as we think about God's Word, applying it to our lives, and becoming specifically with the message today, you know, what it means to be a wise person and make wise decisions in the world today. And on the back side of the MPG, side is the sermon handout with some places for you to uh, to take some notes to fill in the blanks there are some scripture references there that we're going to go through today as we start coming to the end of this series on big deals and decision making and as you know for the last couple of weeks we've been in this series on how to make better decisions decisions that bless people as well as ourselves and I've adapted this material from some things that Andy Stanley has written namely in a book entitled better decisions Future your regrets and we've kind of been into it for a while next week will be the last last message in this series and so we're going to do something that you never expected to do on a Sunday morning at church and that's take a pop quiz you're going to take a pop quiz actually it's going to be very very short it's basically two sentences that we've talked about a lot and a lot and a lot during this series and one of the main things we're going to do this uh, the reason we're going to do it is because this, this series is not for us alone. It's not just for us. Everything that we do in these assemblies, in Bible classes, are, are not just to bless us, but it's to bless the world, to bless the community around us. And to be able to develop a language and a wisdom and a way of talking about the kingdom of God that blesses other people is incredibly important, especially in the world as we live in it today. There is always the need to mentor and to help and to walk through decisions, big decisions that people have to make in life. And so this is not just for us, it's for the entire world. And so here's the pop quiz. I'm going to give you a beginning of a sentence and then you fill in the blank. Here's the first one. Decisions are like steering wheels. Hey, very good. We're going to give you a golf clap over there. Well done. That's very, very good. As you know, decisions are like steering wheels. You decide your way into the future. You are where you are today. I am where I am today. Everybody is where they are today because of decisions that they have made. Number two, personal decisions have... There you go. All right. Public implications. Has big implications. The decisions that you make not only affect you, but they affect the people that surround you and are connected to you and depend on you and connect to you and enjoy you. Your decision... The decisions that you make, the really big ones that you make on a regular basis, have the power, they have the possibility to bless people. To, there's, there's a collateral good, collateral blessing that can take place because of your decisions, but the flip side, there's a, a, a reverse side to that coin. The decisions that are unwise also can have the possibility or the potential to have collateral bad or collateral damage. Now, to start this morning, I want to tell you something that happened or talk about something that happened a lot of years ago when I was beginning ministry. Uh, before I was a preacher, I was a pl church planning missionary with Ellen in Brazil. But before that, uh, Ellen and I were working with youth. And there were three specific churches that we worked with before we actually left to go to Brazil for all of those years. There was one on the East Coast, there was one on the West Coast, and there was one right here in the middle of the country in Texas. And although those youth groups were incredibly different and incredibly diverse, there were some ways in which they were the same. 
And one of the things that was the same about all three of them was that in those youth groups, there was, there was always a question that would get asked all the time. And although these groups were different, the same questions were being asked. And one of the questions went like this. How far is too far when it comes to the opposite sex? How far is too far when it comes to the opposite sex? Now, these are great kids, and they're sincere kids, and they're authentic kids, and and kids of faith, and they're wanting to know, and they come from great families. But behind that question is really at least two other questions. So the first kind of question behind that original question is this. How close can I get to wrong without doing wrong? And then behind that, especially for people of faith, is this question. How close can I get to sin without actually sinning? Now we actually, as disciples of Jesus, we actually ask that question. And it it sort of illustrates the point that as human beings, as fallen human beings, human beings, beings who are not uh, perfect, are not flawless, are not infallible, that we as human beings have this natural inclination to kind of toe the line as close as we can to disaster and well-being. That inclination that we have inside of us is to live as close as we can to this line. Sometimes we don't see the line, and maybe that's sometimes why we get so close to it, But we want to toe that line, get so close to that line that divides what is safe from unsafe. That divides what might be honorable from that which is dishonorable, moral from immoral, responsible from irresponsible. That line dividing in control from out of control. Our inclination as human beings, the human beings that we are, is to put our toes right on the line between right and wrong. And if we do that long enough, when we become habituated to kind of living like that, it's not very long. It's just a short hop, skip, and a jump to beginning to ask, you know, how, how close to that line can we live? It actually becomes how far over the line can I actually get away with without getting into trouble? Now, one of the ways that this is illustrated is in the way we drive. Isn't it true, and I'm looking at some of you right now, and I know it's true in your life. Isn't it true that we get frustrated, that we get upset? We might even use the word idiot. We get upset, we get frustrated when we get behind someone who is driving well below the speed limit. The opposite is true as well. Is it not true that we choose a speed, we think about, you know, we're getting out on the highway, we're going I-10, we're going I-35, that is it not true that we choose a speed that is just enough, not a lot, not too little, not too just enough over the speed limit that the fine folks from the Texas Department of Public Safety are not going to bother us. And you know what I'm saying? There's that three to five mile an hour rule that you can go over the speed limit, right? And then the next thing you know, you've been living over the line for a little bit of time and nobody is in trouble until they are. And nobody makes a mistake until they do. And, And nobody is doing anything wrong 
until they are. And that is what we call flirting with disaster. And if we flirt with disaster long enough, we're going to wake up one morning and find that we're married to a disaster that has placed itself someplace, somewhere in our life. You know what I'm talking about. Where does that come from? Beyond the fact, beyond the fact that we're falling, where does that inclination to live on the edge of danger and disaster and horrific ramifications and happenings, circumstances taking place in our life, where does that come from? Oh, sure, we're fallen, but I think it comes from two other places, two words, assumptions, trajectory. It comes from unexamined assumptions and dangerous trajectories. Friends, you have to beware of unexamined assumptions. You have to be aware, beware of unexamined assumptions. Now, there are some assumptions that are really, really good. Some assumptions you base your life on. Some assumptions you make good decisions on. It's like the sun is going to rise in the east. It's going to set in the west. Gravity is still in force. All of those are assumptions that are good to decide how you're going to live each day. But there are unexamined assumptions that if they are, they continue to be unexamined and we continue to base decisions in life and actions and future and trajectory, all these kinds of things on these bad assumptions, it can lead to a disaster. It can lead to a horrific disaster. Think about some of the dangerous assumptions that go into our decision-making when it comes just into the two areas that I've been talking about, sexual behavior and driving. I mean, there are a million others, but these unexamined assumptions can lead to us crashing into a wall. Think about it this way. We sometimes assume that if it's not technically wrong, it's not technically wrong, then it's all right. If it's not technically immoral, then it's acceptable. If it's not technically illegal, then guess what? It's permissible. And if it's not technically over the line, then it's fine. A couple of years ago, I'm traveling to a funeral in East Texas. Uh, My dad's uh, only surviving brother, my, my last uncle on my dad's side, had passed away driving through East Texas to the funeral, and it's pouring down rain. I mean, it's just, you know, you get, your windshield wipers are not on intermittent. I mean, they're doing this, and it's raining that hard. I'm in a 70-mile-an-hour, on a 70-mile-an-hour uh, piece of highway going out into East Texas, but because it's raining so hard and you can barely see and the roads are beginning to get super wet and there's an inch of water on them, I, I'm not doing 70 miles an hour. I've been driving a truck all my life. I know the, the light front uh, back end is going to hydroplane if I'm not careful. So I'm doing about 45 in a 70. And as I'm driving along, I've kind of got the road to myself. I look and I can see lights coming behind me. They're not going real fast, but they're coming up on me. He's going more than 45. And about the time, a couple of minutes pass, about the time he gets close to passing me, and again, he's not speeding, but he's doing about 70. His truck goes sideways on the highway. He slides off and begins to roll down the median strip. He's not technically breaking the law. I did not break the law. I mean, he was driving under the speed limit, but you get the point, right? Beware of unexamined assumptions. Number two, get off of the dangerous trajectories. Get off the dangerous trajectories. A trajectory is a path 
something follows. A lot of times, especially the younger we are sometimes, the, the less we're able, it's kind of ironic, right? When you're young and your eyesight is perfect, you see less down the road. When you're older and your eyes begin to dim a little bit, you actually can see further down the road. You're used to being able to gauge things according to trajectory. Trajectories can lead you to a good place. Trajectories can be dangerous and lead you to an awful place. And a trajectory, again, is just a path that something follows, and the danger is sometimes not quickly recognizable. I'll give you an illustration. We as adults, older folk, why do we adults, we older folk, react immediately when we see a toddler playing at the edge of a swimming pool? They aren't drowning. They're not even wet. So why do we panic? We panic, friends, because we know that their trajectory is sketchy at best. We see that there is a trajectory that that toddler is following by playing close to the edge of the pool. They don't see the danger, but we do. We see that that could end very, very badly just one step in the wrong direction. It leads to tragedy And we are not reacting to that scenario because of what they are doing. We respond that way because we are are afraid, we're panicking because of the direction that they are headed. We have to beware of unexamined assumptions and we have to get off of dangerous trajectories. Now, with both of those things in mind, let me give you something to think about. It is possible... To be both wrong, excuse me, not wrong, and unwise at the same time. It is possible to be both not wrong in what we're doing or what we're thinking and what we're saying, and unwise at the same time. Would you agree with that statement? Let me challenge us to begin thinking in this area of our life in terms of wisdom and how we make decisions. Let me, let me challenge us to swap the question, is it wrong? Is there anything wrong with it? How far can... Let, let's swap that question out for a better question. This leads us to the fourth question in the series of five. What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? Instead of asking before you, you do something, is it wrong or is it right? Why don't we begin asking the question and even helping those that are facing things like this, what is really the wise thing for you to do right here? What is the wise thing for me to do in this instance? Now, one of the things that I think you and I know is that the Bible really lifts up this wise kind of a lifestyle. Not just any kind of a wisdom, the earthly wisdom, no, but a wisdom that comes from heaven, yes. In fact, in the Old Testament, there is a book called Proverbs, and the Proverbs are these these sort of pithy statements to help us remember pieces of wisdom that help us live our lives in a way in which We don't torture ourselves or torture the people around us. Let me give you four examples from Proverbs. Solomon writes, Proverbs chapter 4, these verses up on the screen. Do not forsake wisdom because she will protect you. Love her. Talking about wisdom. Love wisdom. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. You want the smartest thing you can do? Get smart. Get wise. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. We go to Proverbs chapter 14. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. To pause and to question 
and to think. That is the wise thing to do, but the folly of fools is deception. Proverbs 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold? You know what's better than than Bitcoin right now? Wisdom that comes from God's Word. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. And then this final one for those of us who like desserts. Proverbs 24, eat honey, my son. Honey is kind of dessert and uh, really uh, was a, a fantastic food and brightening the eyes and you know, giving people energy in the Old Testament time in the ancient world. Solomon says, eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Not a whole lot of sweets in the ancient world. Honey was rare, tasted great, brightened your eyes. Know also that wisdom is like honey to you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Wisdom in the Bible, wisdom that comes from the throne room of God in the center of all things, the wisdom in the Bible has to do with becoming skillful at living life, being able to answer questions, be able to discern things, a skillful at living life in whatever situation you might find yourself in. It has virtually nothing to do with the kind of information that you get to get a college degree. It's about learning to, it's, it's, it's learning to live skillfully in whatever life situation you find yourself in. Think of it this way. We pray over in the New Testament. Jesus taught us to pray this way, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, finish it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's what we pray. Think of wisdom this way. Wisdom is learning to live on earth as it is in heaven. And in the the last couple of minutes that we're going to be thinking about this today, I want to give you some actionable items and things to think about. And they're going to be based on two scriptures. One that was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. who was struggling with how to live in the world as it is, or it was, as a disciple of Jesus, and then James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this general letter towards the, you know, towards the middle, three quarters of the way through the first century, uh, to the church in general about how to live as a disciple in the world at large. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, be very careful then how you live. In other words, pay attention, open your eyes, be aware about how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are what? The days are what? The days are evil, right? The days are evil because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be, say it, foolish. Don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. And then James, writing to the church, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. That means pray about it. Ask God in prayer, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Three very quick things. Number one, wake up. Wake up. When Paul says, be careful with your life, he means, don't be careless with your life you've been given one life pay attention there are a lot of things that are happening out there you've been given one life you have 
you know, uh, a certain number of days allotted to you on planet Earth. Be careful with this precious gift that is called your life as you live it on planet Earth. And you know why? This is what you got to wake up to. There are outside forces that are working against you living a careful, blessed, wise life. He says the days are evil. The days are evil. We do not live in a morally neutral world. Do you know what is, you know one of the things that we face every day in a world like that? Temptations. Every day. Be careful. We face false information out there about what is really wise and what is not wise. We have wrong assumptions about life. And not only that, there are misinformed and misled relationships that we have out there that sometimes have more, uh, more sway with us, more influence in our life than they really ought to have. And there's a danger in that. These outside forces, outside people, the temptations, are going to work their way on the inside And we need to wake up to the fact that we have to be careful. We have to be mindful of the kind of life that we have. Don't treat your life flippantly or lackadaisically. Number two, face up to the fact that you're not perfect. Face up to the fact that you are given to making bad decisions impulsively. Which means suddenly, without a whole lot of thought and a whole lot of of prudence. When Paul writes, do not be foolish, he is reminding us that we are all fallen human beings and that there is an inclination to do things that are not wise. We need to face up to the fact that it is in us to live unwisely and not as wise people. So we have to wake up and face up in order to look up, which is prayer. Now, a lot of times when we pray, and I know and, and I do this, I'm like everyone else, you know, there are a lot of times when my prayer for wisdom is really about a very specific question or decision that has to be made. And I pray I mean, in the morning, walking through the woods with the dog in the dark or whenever. And I pray, Father, I, I've got a big decision to make and this is what I'm seeing out in front of me. And I think these are the ramifications. Begin to talk to God about it. And I pray specifically, Lord, help me discern. Help me be wise. Help me to make a great decision which is an excellent thing to do, but let's make it bigger and broader and deeper than that. How many of you, and you don't have to show hands, but how many of us in this room, we pray to be wise? To be wise is different from making a wise decision. Making a wise decision is excellent, but you know what is greater than making wise decisions? It's not only making wise decisions, but becoming a wise person. Being a person that is able to examine some of the assumptions that we have in life, that's able to to kind of see the trajectories that we are on and to make some decisions about it, to be wise. And guess what? God loves that kind of prayer, and one of the things that God does is to give, not just give, but to give generously to those who ask. And it's not just, you know, sort of this human conventional wisdom. It is a wisdom that gets you... As a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth and helps protect your life and puts you in some places of influence in people's lives so that the kingdom of God that is in you can become part of the kingdom of God in them. We pray not just to make wise decisions, but to be a wise person. Now next week we're going to close and we're going to be talking about the relational question, about about how to be wise in the decisions we make with other people. 
the relationships that we have and how really to make a gigantic difference in the world in the difference that we we begin to exhibit and and show and demonstrate and manifest in the way that we we treat other people wisely and honestly and genuinely and like disciples of jesus but this morning i want to give you an invitation i, I want to invite you if you have never given your life to jesus and been thinking about it for a while to think about getting on a trajectory that leads you all the way to the presence of God, a relationship with God. It is a trajectory for life that involves the forgiveness of all of the things that make you feel guilty of at night. It is, it is saving you from yourself by not only giving you the biblical wisdom, but putting the power of God's Holy Spirit in you so that transformation is absolutely possible. That who you are today is not who you should be or who you will be tomorrow, but by God's power and God's wisdom and by the help of people in church who love you, you begin to become a different kind of individual living on the planet. And it's, and it's a purpose, and it's a significance, and it's a direction, and it's a relationship, and it's a power, and it's a love, and it's a joy, and it's a perspective, and it's a new value system. It's just, I can, I, I'm not going to be up here for an hour, in case you were wondering and worried. But the, but the blessing of being God's son, being God's daughter, is innumerable. And it is without description. And it is a blessing that cannot, it, it's better caught than taught. And we want to invite you to make that decision today. To, to believe and to commit yourself to Jesus and to be baptized and born again this very day. And for the rest of us, let's stand and let's praise God who blesses us this way.